he waits to answer prayer? Is it just me or are there times when we say, just why don't you pray about it? Or I need to pray about that, that there is a secret skepticism about, A, whether that will actually happen, uh, or B, that it will do any good. That, that prayer is a central, real, powerful part of the Christian life. And as we talk about what it means to abide in Christ, He Himself leads us very centrally, I think, and very powerfully to prayer being at the very center of what it means to know and love and abide and walk with Christ. And so this morning we are still in John 15. I'm going to read verses 12 to 15. And then we're going to talk about prayer. Hear then God's word. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and to bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, He may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come this morning. and We plead with you to teach us to pray. More than that, Father, capture our hearts for prayer. Soften our hearts and awaken us to our need for you in everything. May our hearts know that apart from you we can do nothing that you invite us to find the riches of heaven in your presence. For we come now and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer is God's given pathway to a fruitful and joyful life. It is the pathway. Prayer is the pathway that God has given us into a fruitful and joyful life. And there are two simple reasons that this is true. Right? Prayer is the pathway into a fruitful and joyful life because apart from Christ, we can do nothing of any spiritual good. Right? And we've talked about that at some length. Prayer has to be the pathway because if we can do nothing of any spiritual good out of our own power and of ourselves, and God, the second reason then is that God answers prayer. If we can do nothing and God answers prayer, then prayer would be the pathway into that fruitful joyful life that God intends for us. Prayer is a relationship with God. It's talking to Him. It's being with Him. It's relying upon Him. It's going to Him. It's knowing Him. It's loving Him. It's being in in dialogue with Him. It's relationship. And this morning what I would want for us is to hear Jesus inviting us and calling us into a deeper and a richer friendship and fellowship with God. Because I think that we often forfeit a great part of what God designs and desires for us. Simply because we do not go to Him in prayer. Jesus has already made it clear back in verse 7 as we've walked through this pet text about Jesus being the vine and us being the branches and His call for us to abide in Him as this, this central flow of the Christian life. 
And back in verse 7, he is already in the, in the middle of this passage explaining the necessity of abiding in him, of what it means to be uh, a Christian living in and through Christ. He gives this central call to prayer, right? In verse 7, even he says, if you ask, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Right? By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, that fruit that you long to bear, that God has designed for you to bear, that I've created you in my own life and death to, to walk in. He said, if you would abide in me, abide in prayer. And then in this next section, he really drives home how prayer then is at the center of this friendship with God. Next to this call to abide in him, he calls us to, to love and to obedience and to prayer. Right, and he drives home in this section. You see, at least the way I read this, this, this passage flowing out of this idea of abiding is that it culminates again in this call to prayer. It culminates there. He says, so that you will ask anything and he will hear you. Jesus is telling us that he is our greatest friend. Isn't that what verse 13 drives at when he says that greater love is no one than this and someone lay down his life for his friend? He's telling us that he, that he is the greatest friend that we could have. Why? Because he's about to lay down his life for them. He is preparing for them to see and to understand and to recognize the cosmic and everlasting nature of his love at the cross. There's no greater love. I couldn't love you guys any more. I couldn't love you guys any deeper. There's nothing more that I could do for you than to lay down my own very life to win your souls. No greater love is there than this. That Jesus should pay the penalty for our sin in his own body on the cross to make friendship with God possible. Because sin is that thing which stands between us. I think it's Isaiah 59 2 says your sin has put up a wall between you and God so that he will not hear you. And then Jesus says that he will bear it in his own body on the cross to make that way open. That which created the barrier is being removed as he lays down his life in friendship and to, to create and to make the way for friendship. So he says, no greater love if, 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 does anyone have than I will have for you as I lay down my life for you. And then he says in verse 14, and you're my friends if you obey and do what I command you. If your lives then come in harmony with my life, right? this is friendship. Right? How can two walk together unless there be agreement? I think the Proverbs say, right? When your life comes in harmony with his life, he says, this is friendship. I lay down my life for you and demonstrate no greater love. And, and, and you walk with me and come in harmony with my life. It's 1 John 5, 3. I think it's made it in your bulletin there under the first point. John, in his first letter, says the same thing in different words. He says, this is the love of God, to keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Why aren't they burdensome? They're, they're, they're hard, aren't they? Right? The, the commands of God, Jesus commands us to love our enemies. It's in, it's in his word that he calls us to, a, to, to take every thought captive. He calls us to purity of heart and mind and soul. And the commands of Jesus run deeper and in some ways 
uh, at, the, at the core of us more deeply than the Old Testament commands do. He says they're not burdensome. Why are they not burdensome? And the short answer to that is what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. They're not burdensome because he has first loved us. Because he has first loved you. Because he's laid down his life for you. Because he's purchased your soul. He has paid your price. He has made you his own. He has given you a new heart. It's Ephesians 2. He says, we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's prepared for us to walk in. He created us in Christ. He's given us a new heart. He's given us a new nature. He's made us his children. He loved us first and he loved us well and he loved us into a whole new life. And his commands are not burdensome because our heart does come in line. Our will, our lives, our hearts do come in harmony with his it's there in your bulletin, Jeremiah 31, 33. Isn't this the promise of the new covenant, of the work that, that God would do through the cross and through Christ? He says, I will put my, my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. Right? His law is not burdensome. See, law is burdensome when it comes from out here and tells you what to do. And it becomes a weight pressing in on you. Do this and do that. And, you know, inside there's some kind of resistance or there's this thing you can't tell me what to do or what if I don't want to do you know when law is burdensome when it when it's a weight on your shoulders when it presses from the outside when it makes demands and when it tells you to do things and but law is not a burdensome if it's written on your own heart if it, if it comes from within you this is what I want to do I want to please God I want to honor God I want to be pure I want to be right and so it is not a burden when he writes it on our own hearts and he will be our God and we will be his people, not in name, but in heart. We belong to him and as his children. And as his children, we want to obey his commands. He writes his law in our hearts and he gives us his spirit and he gives us the power of prayer. Why? Because we're no longer servants. He says, right, your relationship with God radically changes when you come into connection with Jesus, right? That's what verse 15 tells us. He says, I no longer call you servants, right? The servant doesn't know what his master's doing, right? The master's law comes from the outside. The master tells you what to do. It comes from the outside. You're no longer servants who don't know the master's heart and mind, right? I've called you friends. And all that I, you, I have heard from my Father, I have made it known to you. Right? I have brought you into a radically changed relationship with myself and God. We are, in this sense, friends. What do you think of when you think of a friend? Right? It's a certain kind of relationship. We have names for different kinds of relationships, but friend, as much as Facebook has diminished the idea of friend, most of us still retain somewhere in there the idea that, that a friend is something significant. Right? It's a certain kind of a relationship. Lynn is my best friend. I mean, it's the easiest one. My best friend in the world. We share our thoughts. We share our hearts. We share the things that are important to us. We share our struggles. We talk constantly about what's going on in our lives and in our world. We share life together. The master doesn't tell 
the slave what he's thinking. He just tells you what to do. But the friend invites you in. Right? The friend invites you in. And there's a sharing. There's an understanding. There is lives coming in harmony. Two walk together. And they're in agreement. We know the Father's business, and Jesus says, I reveal to you the heart and mind of God. And he invites us in, he invites us to share it. And then he makes this amazing statement in verse 16. Really two amazing statements tied together by a so that. Right in verse 16, he makes that statement. He says, I don't want you to be confused. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to go and to bear fruit. Right? He says, I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you to think that you picked me out as a friend or that you picked me out of a lineup. And right, you, you came to the conclusion that I would be a good friend to have. Right? It's not because you were wise. It's not because you were good. It's not because you're on the ball or because you earned it by making good choices in, in friends. He says, get it straight. I've chosen you. Right? And I appoint pointed you that you should go and bear fruit. I've heard some try to say that this statement here is not about you and I. It's not about disciples in general. This is about just these guys who are apostles and that Jesus chose the 12 apostles for a particular job and that he appointed them to go and be fruitful in that job. And that this really isn't, he's not saying that to you and I, that this idea of being chosen isn't, isn't as broad as all that. But you and I have looked at some of these texts already <clears throat> you know, in, in, in I, my problem with it is things like Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. It's there in your bulletin. It says, he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. What does that mean? It means fruitful. He says, I chose you and appointed you to bear much fruit. And he says, I chose you before the foundation of the world to be holy. That is to bear much fruit. Godly character. Christ-likeness. One of Paul's favorite words to define and uh, speak of the church is the chosen. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. You know, be like this, Paul says. Think of yourself as chosen and appointed to bear much fruit. That we should be holy. That is set apart as God's friends. I think it's one way you can define holy is to be set apart as God's friend, great lovers and great doers of his word. Because we are in agreement and our hearts have made new. But he says this, he says, and, and it's interesting, this is all one verse and it's tied together by the, the connecting verb, word, so that. He says, you didn't choose me, I chose you, I pointed you to go and to bear fruit. That your fruit would abide so that. I wrestled with this. He says, so that whatever you ask the Father, He will hear you. He will give it to you. He says, I've, I've done all of this. I give you access to God the Father. I, I've done all this to open the way so that God will hear you and that God will answer you and that He will bless you and make you fruitful. Right? It's the so that. I wrestled. I wanted it to say, you know, such that if you pray, then this. But he says, I've done it so that whatever you ask. I've chosen you as friends, right? This is what he's saying. I've, I've chosen you as friends and I have loved you to death so that the Father will hear you as his friend. 
And He will give you whatever you ask if you come to Him. By His power, you will be fruitful. Right? It's Paul David Tripp there under the first thing, under the second point. Paul David Tripp says, Grace dismantles your confidence in you while it gives you more hope and courage than you have ever had. I thought that was great as I was thinking about this because I think that's exactly what this whole idea of the fruit of, of the vine and the branches and the bearing fruit that Jesus is after. This whole thing dismantles our confidence in ourselves, right? Jesus says, you're just a branch, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing, right? Talk about dismantling confidence in yourself, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. You guys are powerless. You guys are broken by sin. In and of yourselves, you guys can't please God. In and of yourselves, you cannot produce the fruit of godliness and Christ-likeness and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Spirit, you cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit. Apart from Christ, you cannot produce Christ-likeness. Apart from this intimacy with God and access to God, you cannot produce godliness. And He dismantles your confidence in you, but at the same time, he gives you more hope and more courage than you possibly ever could have drummed up on your own. When he says things like, I'm going to lay down my life for you as my friend. Right? I chose you. I appointed you. And my purpose has been, the eternal purpose of God is that you should be holy and bear much fruit. God has begun a good work in you that he will carry on to completion until the day of Christ. Whatever you ask, the Father hears. Through prayer, we have access into the presence and the power of the new life that God calls us to. It's in Hebrews 10, I think it's there in your bulletin, that the writer cries out and says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Right? We have access this should be a shocking and surprising thing. It's one of the most taken advantage of or taken for granted things in the Christian life. As that Jesus has laid down his life to make us his friends and to open up so that we could ask, so that we could go, so that the way into the holy places, you know, paved and washed by his own blood, we can go and ask whatever. And it's so taken for granted. And that we are so weak in prayer. If God is our friend because of Jesus, then all that he is, he is for us. Think about that for a moment. If God is your friend because of Jesus, all that he is, he is for you calls us, in a sense, to come and get it. Right, this is what Romans 8 says. I just love, you know, we keep touching on this and coming back to these proclamations. The last half of Romans 8 is this celebration of this relationship that we have with God. Paul cries out and he says, those he predestined, he also called, and those whom he calls, he also justifies, and those he justifies, he glorifies. Right? Christ laid down his life to justify us and make us right. And he says, what should we say about this? God is for us. Who can be against us? God is radically for us 
in Christ. If he chose us before the foundations of the world and he loved us so well that Jesus would say that he would lay down his life and if he has gone through all of this to predestine and to call and to justify by the blood of Christ and to promise to glorify and if God is the one who is the author and the finisher of all of these things, if God is for us in this way, who could be against us? And how could we fail to come Jesus says, go to him, pray, ask, seek, begin to knock, abide in God in constant prayer. Right? The Psalms show us this so beautifully. You know, as I'm thinking about the, the ways that we abide in God and all that he is, he is for us. The psalmists celebrate this. The psalm, I think it was Calvin who said that the psalms are an anatomy of the human, an anatomy of the human soul. You know what an anatomy is when you take a look at the human body and it's all the bits and parts. Like it, it takes it apart and you see all the different. And he says the Psalms are like an anatomy of the human soul because you see every, every struggle that a human being will go through. Every feeling that you, that you feel, everything, every cry that escaped your lips, lips or comes into your heart, the psalmist express. One way or another, one time or another, you hear him crying out. And, and, and you see in this anatomy uh, the the range, and I'm just going to touch on a few that, that, that of who God is for us. <clears throat> the psalmist calls out and he says that he is our rock and our fortress. Right? And so prayer is running to him. He's your rock and your fortress. And prayer is running. It's running to find solid ground. It's running to find refuge. It's running to find a place to rest. God is our deliverer. And our help in time of trouble. And so prayer is crying out. Crying out to our deliverer to come, to save us, to protect us. You know, and you read those psalms and there are so many times that just your heart just says, yes. God, come. He is our strength. And so prayer is seeking his power. Prayer is seeking his support and his enablement. His ability to do those things that you and I find so hard to do. He is our Lord. And so prayer is coming under his will and under his way. Prayer is bowing the knee and coming to know him for who he is and devoting ourselves to his cause. He is our comforter. So prayer is falling into his arms. It's being supported. It's being encouraged. It's being lifted up. Right? It's him drawing near and just being with us when we need to know his presence. Prayer is worship. It's, it's praising who he is and what he has done. Drawing near to hear his voice. To consecrate ourselves to him again. To devote ourselves to him afresh. Prayer is relationship. It's being still. And knowing that he is God. And that he is your God. And that you are his people. And it's hearing his voice speak into your life. It's hearing him speak his love to you again. It's him, him, him telling you that you are his friend, that he is radically for you in Christ. Prayer is drawing all that we need. I mean, do you see it? It's running to him. It's crying out to him. It's seeking his power. It's coming under his will. It's falling into his arms. It's praising him and drawing near to him. And it's, it's literally drawing all that we need from all that he is. John Murray says prayer might be called the very breath 
of the spiritual life. I think that's a great image because breathing is so central to living. And apart from breathing, you know, we would physically cease to be. And he's, I think there are many ways that spiritually, apart from praying, apart from breathing, we would cease to have life as God wants us to have life. The psalmist cries out and says, Oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Of course he does. Octavius Winslow, there under the last point, he says, What a loser. And I wanted to stop right here and say, when he says loser, when you, when you hear loser, your, your hand wants to automatically go to your forehead or something. And he's not saying the way our culture uses, you know, what a loser. He's saying, you know, what, what a person who loses out on something. It's not a statement about your character or about your abilities. It's a statement about the fact that you've lost out on something that you could have been a part of. You know, what a loser then is the professing Christian who lives in the daily and habitual neglect of secret prayer. Right? It is the close and secret walk with God that marks the true and advancing believer. It is in that walk and in that walk only that fresh grace and strength and love are poured into the soul. I love that image. Freshness. Anybody here need a little freshness in your spiritual life? A little freshness in, in your worship, in your living, in your serving, in your being married, in your loving, in your giving, just in your attitude, in your heart, in your joy, in your hope, right? This image that it is, it is in that walk and that walk only that this freshness of grace and strength and love are poured from his presence into yours. His heart into yours. It reminds me of that hymn that everyone knows. What peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to our God in prayer. My friends, do you believe that apart from him, you can do nothing? Do you believe that you cannot stand a single moment without the continual fresh supplies of His grace. You believe you cannot stand a single moment against the onslaughts and the temptations of sin. You believe you cannot stand a single moment of, of, of standing in His graces, of being kind and gentle and loving and steadfast and faithful and patient and merciful. That we can't stand, he says, a single moment without continual fresh supplies of His grace. In other words, they're fruits of His Spirit. He wants to be alive to, awake to, and full of that Spirit, His Spirit. Do you believe that fresh grace and strength and love are indeed poured into the soul in prayer? And I don't mean just the saying of your prayers. And sometimes I'm a little frustrated. Let's say a prayer. Let's not say a prayer. Let's pray. Right? Let's go to God. Let's not, let's not recite you know, the, the thing that we always formally recite in a moment like this. You know, let's, let's knock. Let's seek. Let's ask. Let's go. Let's talk to God. Let's plead with God. Let's cry out to God. Let's, you know, do we believe that when we seek God's face, that indeed He pours out the freshness of everything we need? When our hearts are gripped by this spiritual truth, we will pray without ceasing. 
You know, so many times when people say, well, what does it mean to pray without ceasing? I think if this truth grips your heart, that question becomes moot, right? We will pray without ceasing. Maybe not every single moment, but we will pray all the time about everything. Because we need his grace, we need his strength, we need his help to do all things. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, it's there. In your bulletin, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and all supplication. In other words, all kinds of prayers. You know, the running prayers, the crying out prayers, the prayers for the comforts, the falling in His arm prayers, the seeking His strength and His grace prayers, the pleading with God prayers, praying all, at all times with the Spirit, in the Spirit, with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of supplications. The soul will go out to Him. Again and again, seeking what it needs, seeking what it lacks. Continual, fresh supplies of grace. You know, grace in this sense, I think, is a lot like manna. Right? Manna doesn't keep. They had to go after it every day. A fresh supply of manna. I think a lot of what is ours in Christ in the spiritual life is like that. And I think that's one of the ways that it's a picture. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Right, come and feast on me for your spiritual life. But I'm going to tell you, it doesn't keep. You need to walk with me. Right? You need to be with me. Right? Just like I need every day as we seek to get face time with my wife, to talk to her, to be in relationship with her. And my marriage thrives to the degree that I succeed in that connection with her. And it, and it suffers to the degree that I don't. And it's no different in some senses our relationship with God. We need a fresh supply of grace to stand against sin and temptation, to say no to ungodliness again tomorrow and again the next day and again the next day. We need fresh supplies of grace to keep on loving for godly wisdom, for gentleness. We need a fresh supply of grace to die to ourselves again and again so that we can forgive, so that we can be patient so that we can serve, so that we can give ourselves away. We need a fresh supply of grace to make us strong, to give us hope. It is those who wait upon the Lord in prayer, who renew their strength, and rise up on wings like eagles. There's a fresh current under their wings, in the fullness of His Spirit. Ask, Jesus says, I have chosen you, For this very purpose, so that you may ask whatever you will. And the Father, radically for you, the Father delights to bless you and make you fruitful. The Father delights to give out of the bounty of all that He is for you. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock. Doors will be opened. Be anxious about nothing. In everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known. Make them known. Go again and again. It is, prayer is this dynamic relationship with God. It brings us near. He brings you near. To the abode of His power. To the confines of His love. You are chosen and appointed to bear much fruit. But don't do it without asking. Don't try and try again. Don't bootstrap it. Pray. 
sheep knock. It's J.C. Ryle who said, it's not always those who have the most eminent gifts who are the most successful laborers for God. It is generally those who keep the closest communion with Christ and are the most instant, constant, persistent in prayer. Will you make time? Will you pray with your family? Will you pray with your children? Will you pray with your spouse? Will you pray in the shower and in your car? Will you pray at lunch? Will you, will you get alone with God? And one last thing I will encourage you, which I think the application here is as you walk out of here, don't cease to pray, but I would encourage you to consider the seminar that's in your bulletin that's being held down at First Presbyterian on the first full weekend of February. It's a Praying Life seminar. That book by um, uh, Paul Miller. Is it Paul? <clears throat> that uh, We read it. We did it as a summer study a few years ago over the summer, and a whole group of us read it, and then a number of small groups read that book. You know, for Lynn and I, or two, who, as we've talked about it, would both testify that it was a book that had a huge impact on our spiritual lives and our prayer lives, attacking our skepticism and, and, you know, one line in there that I quote to myself all the time, that when you learn to pray, you learn to dream again. That's one I've just been hanging on to. When you learn to pray, you learn to dream again. Why? Because we think beyond our... He is able to do more than you ask or even imagine. Go to Him. Consider the seminar. It's, it's here in town. It's cheap. Um, it's the same, the same guy. I plan to be there. I think if you're looking for a, you know, something to help and light your fire, consider that seminar. Pray with me. Oh, Father, would you write on our heart in deep, deep impressions that apart from you we can do nothing. Oh, would you awaken us to our need so that we would be, oh, Always in your presence, seeking you and finding you, asking and hearing you and seeing you answer our prayers and knocking on the doors of heaven. That we seek what we need from you, Father. Deliver us from ourselves and from our self-righteousness, our, our self-confidence, our self-assurance. And at the same time that you strip us of our self-confidence, oh, steep us how radically for us you are in Christ. Teach us to pray. We ask it in Jesus' name.